This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. Hi, I'm Jeff Gibbard, the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist and real-life superhero. And this is my podcast, Shareable. Every week, I get the opportunity to speak with someone brilliant, including entrepreneurs, academics, authors, speakers, researchers, and more. Come along with me as we dig deeply into their unique story of success, including their highest of highs and often their lowest of lows. These episodes are powered by my curiosity about the critical role that relationships and technology play in shaping the course of our lives. These episodes aren't sales pitches. These episodes aren't the standard book tour. These episodes are just shareable. Before we get to the episode, I just wanted to let you know about an amazing free resource that you should be taking advantage of. I ran my own agency for seven years, and I know that as a freelancer, entrepreneur, or small business, you want to feel confident that you have all of the skills you need to grow your business, lead your team, and close the sale. But I also know that sometimes, no matter how hard you try, it seems like you can't get ahead. You try to learn how to be a better leader only to find yourself winging it. You know that you have a unique story to tell, but your marketing materials aren't telling it. And the things you need to learn are spread out all over the place, so it can be challenging to know where to even start. And it's for all of these reasons that I created the Superhero Institute. The Superhero Institute is a personal and professional development platform with curated resources, lessons, and strategies to unlock unlimited growth potential and teach you specific superhuman abilities. Your free membership comes with access to the one-of-a-kind superhuman framework, along with a structured approach designed to give freelancers and small businesses the tools for professional growth. Lead your team, tell your story, and close that business. Commit yourself to continual growing, to consistently expanding your skills, and constantly deepening your understanding. It's time that you get more done than you ever have before, and before long, you'll realize that you're just getting started. Become the superhero you were meant to be. Join today for free at SuperheroInstitute.org. Welcome back to Shareable. My name is Jeff Gibbard. I am your host. You probably know my voice already, but the gentleman on the other side of the microphone is Grant Kroll, and I have him here to talk about his new book, Grantasms, as well as what it's like to be a technologist living with uh, ADHD and uh, how that affects uh, your career choices, how it affects how you go about a career in technology, and there's a lot of stuff we're going to discuss. So Grant, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. What is up? Hey, this is Sherlicious already. Hey, Jeff. It's, 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 I was just talking before we, we, we hit the play button about, uh, you know, it's kind of like a reunion for us. So, so many years when I first saw you, I'm speaking at a conference. I thought, this dude gets it. And then I also thought, well, this dude is going to have a hard time dealing with all the all junk that's out there. Like I was dealing with the junk out there and still am someday. So good for you for finding the good fight. Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, you, uh, so in uh that was like back in like 2013 2014 where you and i first met i think and at that point i had never been on the other side of the microphone i had only ever uh hosted a podcast so i think you actually might officially be the first person that ever uh interviewed me so that's a good point yeah yeah the story behind that is i was hired by the conference um, folks to do shows uh, for for some of the featured speakers, and in all honesty, I didn't. I I heard of the names of a few, but there's no one I really uh, just had any correspondence with. Uh, but I always want to do my homework and try to find out what were they passionate about, what what was their point of view, 
And I had already gotten that about you or early on and made, you were probably the easiest and most fun interview that I could do. Others were just like completely, completely stiff. They were just giving marketing spiel. And I just basically had to say, we got we to cut this. This is not going to really be interesting to anyone too. <laughs> but, but, with, but with you, it was, your presentation was just so enjoyable and great. It was like you're being conversational, but you could also speak to a bunch of people at the same time, make everyone feel like you were talking with them. So yeah, that was when I got to interview you and had a great time. And uh, it's like some of those things I think of, hey, if I could just only do that for a living, then life would be sweet. Yeah, man. Well, it's uh, it's interesting because I I, I want to talk to you a little bit about what your experience in social media has been like over the past. Uh, I don't know, was that seven years? I guess since then, uh, mine. I, I've spoken at great lengths about how it's fallen out of favor for me and what social media has been like. But I would say the fact that we initially met back then and the fact that we've kept in touch this long virtually is really a testament to the fact that there still exists this silver lining in the world of online connections and communications where you can maintain friendships and acquaintances and uh, professional, um, you know, peer relationships just by using these tools. I mean, you and I, the last time we talked was, you know, many moons ago, you know, we connect now and again, but it's really a, a you know, a really, a, it's a silver lining uh, in what is otherwise sometimes a really, uh, you know, depressing and toxic type of uh, environment. So what, what's social been like for you since, uh, since we last really connected about it, I mean, is it still like a big part of what you're doing? I mean, at one point, I remember you called yourself a social stylist, teaching uh, yes. important communication skills for the digital ecosystem. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you, you try to be be cute, and not not sound too wonky, and I and I still use that sometimes. Although today, I've I've changed that into a a twisted wordsmith or a social wordsmith, and that's been my my gift that I've learned throughout the years. When when we met. I think that was my very first job that I had that was directly involved in social media. I was a contractor on the social media team for CDW, uh, um, a technology company that's now getting to network solutions, cloud solutions. So trying to go away from the idea of, oh, we just sell stuff to consumers to now let's build stuff for the infrastructure and hopefully try to get some, um, some large enterprise clients. And so that's when they brought someone like me in for their team. And my background happened to be video. Um, I was involved in the earlier years of video and, and for a few publications. There was just something about that, even though I wasn't a great video producer, I can understand, I can marry the marketing side with the production side uh, to these two groups that didn't speak that much together. And then when social came around, uh, I, along with uh, the publishers of a, of a publication called Real SEO that eventually got bought out, were really talking at length about social video. And I like the idea that it could be the most visceral communications medium, but at the time, it was being bogged down by a lot of people who just sucked at doing it or treated it like it was an infomercial. So I worked for CDW for a year, and I was trying to impart that stop with the commercials, show real people, and, uh, and, and just be helpful. Uh, that was still, I was still not that close to the decision makers to make as big of an impact, but I made some impact. And I could show the results, actual data say, see, this works versus compared to what you were doing beforehand. So later, that got me a job as a social media director for a, a local agency. Uh, um, I also worked at a, uh, a, a YouTube company that I managed the Procter & Gamble accounts for Olay and Swiffer. And uh, when I say Olay, I jokingly and say it's true. I know a lot about women's skincare from having optimized probably near a thousand videos. So I was telling them, I was saying, hey, 
to the social team, answer these people's questions on here. And they were ignoring all these things. So on the agency side, it, it was depressing for me to see us thinking that just push stuff out and not engage with your, with your audience, not treat it as customer care. So later, uh, I then decided, hey, I don't want to be doing the agency stuff. It, I was getting depressed by it. I thought I would take a job at an actual book publisher company, being the social media manager there. Uh, however, that turned out to not be what it was advertised for me. Uh, I learned uh, after just two months there that I was expected to get the company a million fake likes. <laughs> and, uh, and that is not in my ethos. And certainly for saying, no, I can't do that, but how about we do this the right way and treat it as customer care, which I was able to prove was working and helping with sales. No, they didn't want that, so they let me go. So I spent a year trying to do smaller stuff for smaller, comp smaller companies, smaller businesses, working directly. And, and the fun part was I got to get my, hand, uh, my hands dirty with things I enjoyed, the interviews, the talking, the, uh, the, the, I'd be able to produce a lot of videos. And one video just for a Facebook page, I got 14,000 views organically uh, because the, the interviews were just authentic. And I love telling people stories. And since I already had a video background, I'm not a great video producer, but I know how to tell a story. And I would always engage with people in the audience there so I could build a rapport. So I got to do that for a long, long time until I actually ended up working where I have been now. And that's been as a, a contractor for Dell Technologies, a company I really enjoy. I think it's been that way for like a year and two months. And I get to work with the, the social media, social business team that has a really good sense of ethics and values. But along the way, I did get very jaded about when people say social or say things like uh, connection, but what they really just mean is access and they don't mean relationship building. And I think that's hard when you are wired, I think like you and I are, for thinking in terms of this is supposed to mean something, like an extension of our humanity rather than as a way to manipulate others or to try to do something to such a large scale to fool people into thinking that you're being social. Uh, and I think that's part of why I did this book, Grantasm, some creative twisted words for cool people, because one part of the book is all the frustrations I would have in the social media space over how it seemed to be very hypocritical or how it seemed to be very disingenuous. But at the same time, I'm not a purist, but I understand we need to have a profit motive and be sustainable. But so much of it seemed to be just bad for our health and how to wrestle with that. Because, and I decided, well, I'm going to get out of social media. I'm going to get off of some of the social media channels. I'm going to do the stuff that makes me feel good. And I'm going to focus more on the quality of the relationships I have. I cut out a lot of things in Facebook and LinkedIn and others. And I instead put my energies for the, for the people I knew. And I found it made me a lot healthier of a person. But I found along the way, if I could come up with words for my frustrations, I would be in a much better mood to deal with it as opposed to things that would typically get me in trouble in earlier years, including when I, when I met you too, is I would be too easily... To, I would too easily respond to things without thinking or pausing uh, because social was getting the better of me. Um, I look at social as this is for some people, it is just a means to get what you want. And for others, it's a value system. But when you're hatched as a value system, you get emotional about it. And when you get emotional about it, you run the risk of not keeping your emotions in check. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's nice to, to be able to just go with the flow. And other times it means it can get you in trouble. And honestly, sometimes it got me in trouble. So, but at least I found with me doing this book, I could write about those mistakes. And then the next time it happened, I'd laugh at them. And I actually found it stopped those behavior 
and I could teach this to other people. And I found, wow, this, this isn't just good for me. It really works for a lot of other people. So that's, that's the trajectory of where I met you, my very first job in social media, to where I am today, where I can be social and work with really good people in a good culture, but also manage it and not have it manage me. Yeah, there's so much there I want to unpack with you. I mean, let's start with just communication because I think that that's a good catch-all for so many of the different things that you touched on. Uh, on the one hand, you mentioned storytelling and the importance of, you know, you, you said you might not be the greatest video uh, producer or video editor, but you can tell a good story, right? And that's such an important part of being successful and really any sort of marketing is being able to tell a good story. At the same time, you're also talking about uh, coming up with your own kind of words and language to communicate certain ideas to kind of help you deal with some of the frustration that comes with being emotionally attached to the outcome of the work that you're doing versus what it's actually looking like and shaping up to be in practice. So talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, the, I guess the, the inspiration behind creating this book and maybe some of your favorite grantasms uh, as you're going through this, if you could, but what was the impetus behind even creating a book around these sort of things? Um, you know, where did it start for you and, and why did you decide to go through it? Because writing a, a book is a, is a pretty hefty task, as I'm sure you're now well aware. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I even had that experience even before I wrote my own book when I was hired to write other people's books, <laughs> especially when I was on a subject I didn't even really know that much about and then being expected to write in that person's voice. Uh, at, and I'd say that the thing for me is, and, and probably you would agree, is I, for, when I wrote this book, I came out a better person. It wasn't what I thought it was originally going to be. It came out something much better, but it took way, way more time. But now once you've done it, you now know what your theme is for all things moving forward, including other books moving forward. So I wrote this. Um, if I had to say, first, let's start off with what is my, my differentiator? And, and I remember when you know, we talk with guests on your show about what's that thing that they always remember that makes them stand out. And what I thought of was this, is I would always do creative things, even though sometimes I could be very socially awkward. And part of that came from my undiagnosed and untreated ADHD for, um, for several decades. Well, I also found out that while I was an early cartoonist, I did in high school, I did for several colleges, I was even picked up in college press services. And one year when I was 20 years old, I hadn't thought of it at the time, but I'm from Hawaii, born and raised. I won the state of Hawaii, uh, an art competition throughout the entire state. And I won the category of communications. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know there was such a category called communications. I thought, okay, I'm a cartoonist. I'm an artist. Uh, and, and that was lost on me. Yet I had beaten out all these other people whose work I thought was way better for the cartoons I did. Uh, at the time, I did a cartoon series called Johnny Extremity, which was basically my alter ego of to mock extremism, but kind of just satirizing it and showing on how groups on the left or the right or even center or wherever could be so similar in their actions if you just took out the behaviors. And that worked pretty well um, for me for a while in, in getting attention back when there was so many fewer media channels to do. Uh, I mean, as a college newspaper back then, uh, me growing up, that was what people on college campus, that's what they're always talking about, just like the local um, college radio station too. And that was a very exciting time. Uh, however, I grew up in a space that was, I'd say, very conservative in terms of not making waves, pardon the pun. It uh, was much more about tourism, much more about things that are lucky you live in Hawaii kind of stuff. And I was, I was tipping over those sacred cows. So my type of humor was not really suitable for what was considered by those who owned, um, uh, I should say, owned a publishing station or, or who could produce books in Hawaii to be mass marketable for their audience. And that's, that was understandable. Uh, 
I just couldn't find that audience too when I eventually moved to Chicago. Um, then I was told my work was too polished for that group. So I, I just, it was just unfortunate luck that it didn't work out for me. I was, a, I was a, gra a professional graphic designer for a long time, but working for very conservative companies, financial institutions. So I wasn't really getting my outlet, so to, so to speak. So, but I was always coming up with fun words. And I would do that in all of my cartoons. I would just do that in all of my artwork that I'd share. Sometimes we could get other people's names. And I never thought about that kind of stuff. And then I would be doing it all the time at work. And people would ask me for fun things at work. Like one time, uh, I remember uh, when people were getting really stressed out about the internet going out. Uh, I would say, well, we don't have an internet. We have an internet. <laughs> and that actually helped with breaking the ice with people who weren't talkative. So the next time the internet went out on us, they brought it up, they laughed, and it actually brought people together over a shared frustration. So then I found some things that really bothered me. The things that bothered me most were the things where people just didn't pay attention to how they came across through their choice of words. I mean, I listened to the, the previous guest, Lori, Ge uh, Lori Geist, and what, what struck me so well was she said how important it is uh, to pay attention to the words you choose, but also something else that I remember. That was creativity plus humor equals connection. And I found that you can be super creative and be a master storyteller if you can come up with a, with a special word or phrase that describes a shared frustration or a shared experience, a commonality, but it still tells your uniqueness and how when you can tell your own story. It's like your prompt. So the next time that happens, people remember that about you. They think you're creative. They think you're charismatic and it builds your confidence. So I found myself doing that more and more. Like a, one, one word in the book I'd use is filler flabber, which is the overuse of filler words so drastic that it distracts from the important contact, content you have to say and it creates distress and it just drives other people crazy. Like the person says, you know, 300 times. And I kid you not, I listen to a podcast, a professional podcast of a professional guest saying, you know, 300 times in 22 minutes. How do I know? Because I went back and I listened to it the entire time and I couldn't pay attention to anything else. Just like when I would hear 20-somethings who still call me or, or vendors who I work with at 20-somethings and nothing against 20-somethings, but Sometimes the product of the culture is not thinking about certain words or filler flavor, like saying the words, oh, perfect or awesome over things that aren't awesome. I mean, in my book, I tell an actual situation of when my, my partner, her dad died. I came back home. I get a call from a, from a young recruiter. She says to me, oh, so how are you doing? I said, well, I just had to um, deal, deal with a funeral. And she went, oh, that's awesome. I said, now, that's the exact opposite of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it was just the idea of treating words as a commodity of now I have to get to the next one and the next one and the next one that built such distrust. Now, and it, now this person wasn't being malicious in any way, but it created such distrust of you, you clearly are not even paying attention to what I actually have to say. Just like when, if somebody wants to ask how you're doing, I won't say fine. I might say something more like I'm incredibly average. Now, not all the time, but because I want to just put a little effort in sometimes when it's in proper context, like at a Trader Joe's or someplace where I know they'll laugh. If I can tell the person is maybe just having a hard day, I won't do it. But those are the kind of things where I would come up with stories around what I'd say, um, if it was online, a digital douche, like an online faux pas from either human or computer error or a combination of both. And sometimes there are people like those who just don't know any better or don't realize how they come across versus the asshole. And that's what we are trying to distinguish and basically to be able to pause. And I did these words and say, sometimes we may come across that way and we don't want to be perceived that way as uncaring. But sometimes when we are expected to do so much, we're going to get distracted. The ADHD thing. 
we're going to sometimes let our emotions get the better of us. We're, some, we're sometimes going to do impulsive behavior. We're sometimes going to have too many taps open. So I came up with words for this, like note of friction. When you feel anxiety over forgetting to turn off the notifications on your digital device kind of thing. Uh, stuff like that. But I would also come up with for relationships. Like I've come, like I know since you're, you're an expert on covering you know, ways to treat online dating marketing, I come up with, okay, stupid, you know, modern guide to date mating where I can come up with uh, words that could be really, really handy for those who want to be a little better about how they come across. Like I could say uh, an endorphin, a friend who gives you an endorphin rush. And so that could be a creative way of building a connection there. So sometimes these are great for icebreakers. Other times are a great way of channeling your negative energy and turning it into creativity. Like I'll even give have a, one that's, that I enjoy called a male snail, which is an old boy toy, or a, a sourdough, a former sugar daddy that has lost their boy toy or their girl toy. And that makes it easier to deal with things. Um, like my partner, Karen, and I, we refer to each other as spousish because we aren't married, but we've been together for 10 years. We're a lot more than a boyfriend-girlfriend, and that's something even conservative folks can get. We're spouse-ish. Yeah. And, and so always, is the key isn't for people who are like you, but people who aren't like you. And that word will be that prompt for where they have a nice, fun experience. And when they laugh, and laugh is a great icebreaker, it, 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 uh, it basically um, overcomes barriers. You start making connections with people you didn't think where connections were possible. So this book is really the best connections I've made over the past five years. So I love the fact that you're, you know, using your creativity to do plays on words and you're trying to find ways to, you know, get people to giggle over something and, and have that moment of like, oh, I get what he means there, right? Like spouseish is like a really, I think, salient example where you can say, oh, I get where he's going with that. So you've come up with these words, you use these words, you wrote a book around them. I, I guess there's kind of two pieces of it. One is the purpose to kind of inspire people to think up their own sort of versions of these so that they can see the power and being able to play with language a little bit more to create connection. So, so that's the kind of first question I have for you. And then the second being is that as someone who is, you know, open about their struggles with ADHD, uh, I want to, I want you to talk a little bit about how these have helped you, um, to be able to stay on topic and to be able to have more clear and coherent communications. I think one of the things that at least I struggle with is going off on tangents or being excited by any, when I talk with my podcast guests, one of the things that happens to me is they'll say like three things. And I'm like, Oh my God, which of those do I jump onto? Which one do I go after? So, you know, talk to me a little bit about how this has been therapeutic for you. I know you mentioned a little bit that this is something that you use to actually, uh, deal with and manage some of your struggles with connections. Talk to me a little bit about those two kind of pieces together. Uh, and just to reiterate them, uh, the, the one is it to encourage people to do it themselves. And then two, uh, how has it helped you? Certainly. Well, you're right. The, the two are so interconnected. So uh, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in itself, a word that has long time brought negative connotations. So you can imagine as someone having to have that label for a long time uh, of how it affects your attitude towards yourself. Uh, now, I think it's a, it's a lot more, un, it's a lot better understood today. And there are even some, um, some people who treat it as a gift. I treat it as it's there, like, like everything else. And it, it's something that can be a gift. It can be a curse if you don't know how to deal with it. For me, my, my story was, I remember my parents taking me to a psychiatrist when I was four years old. I had all of the behaviors, very much so. But 
this was also Hawaii, and this was a long time back, so it wasn't widely understood in the psychiatric industry, and especially not carrying over to Hawaii of what ADHD was. So I still have the manual uh, uh, typewriter letter saying all these things, but with no diagnosis. And the psychiatrist saying, we don't really understand how to deal with this, but perhaps you could try this or that. And so my parents did the best they could, but that got me in a lot of trouble. It got me bullied a lot because kids didn't get me and I didn't get them and teachers didn't get it. Uh, and of course, going to a public school uh, in Hawaii, it was really that you're just lazy or not trying when really I, I could not pick up certain words. I was not getting social cues, uh, especially if something was boring. I mean, I, I even remember crying as a kid when I was six years old because I would try to read a science book over and over and over and it wouldn't stick with me. And things were a lot more boring back then. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the material was just way boring. Teachers didn't think about how to make things interesting, or at least not my teachers did. When I was in a different environment, I could thrive. But in that environment, it, it was just hell for a kid like myself. So things like sports or that were a very good way that I, that I excelled at really well was, was great. And that also helped with the ADHD for making me active, which made my brain active. But I didn't know this. Uh, being, uh, being a cross-country public school champ in Hawaii was also helpful for me too. It also gave me some confidence, but I lacked social skills. And the social skills was always my weakness. Uh, and like I didn't date for until I was like 19 years old. So I had those things that made me very, very awkward. So with the ADHD, for me, it was things such as being highly distractible, going off on tangents, uh, that, you know, sometimes you come up with great stuff, but I could be creative, but not necessarily productive. Maybe I could with if I was getting my cartoons out there, but there was all these other responsibilities I had, like a word I have for that is important, boring, but important. Uh, that's where words today help me with remind me of what I got to get done. But the connections for me is what I was missing and was missing in not having long-term good relationships, not having that many friends, not, um, not sticking with a job. Uh, and that really, really hurts you. Uh, it really, really hurt me. Whereas I, I had my own company for 10 years, Grantastic Designs, which was an early SEO website company, and I could do really good things for other people. But in terms of the responsibility of running a full-time business, I was not good at that. Um, I managed to do it for 10 years, but I was still not good at that. So what the words helped me do was help me to focus because then it would make me pause. And too often today, people doesn't matter whether it's ADD, ADHD, or wherever you are on the spectrum, or you're neurotypical. It's we struggle with this to different degrees. If we, some of us have similar environments to do it, where we have to work in spaces that requires us to focus while dealing with distractions, or maybe you have to deal with irate people, or maybe you have to deal with people who you can't stand, but you got to work with too. Whole bunch of stuff, or maybe you're not getting enough sleep or enough exercise. I just say for the ADHD person, this is the difference is frequency and amplification. It affects that person because they're further along the spectrum. Uh, I mean, don't, if, if I had to use an, uh, an analogy, it's like, having a suit, it's like having a costume that can give you some fun powers, but you've lost the instruction manual, so you keep crashing the buildings, in a way. Yeah. But once you know what you have, once you know, you have, there's actually a, a fun eight, uh, 80, early 80s show called The Greatest American Hero that that analogy is based on, too. Uh, go, go Google that one. You'll find some good YouTube clips. But once you understand what you have, the first step is awareness of what you have. And then talking with other people who have that. And that's where you get the epiphany. Because when I went to my first ADHD meeting, uh, meetup, it was a support group in Chicago, I thought to myself, oh, gosh, these people are so freaking annoying. And then I realized, wow, I must be that same way. 
<laughs> I can't shut up sometimes or I'm not paying the social cues. Now, when I have, now it's, it's through things like cognitive behavior therapy. I take some medication. Uh, I exercise a lot. I get good sleep. I practice uh, mindfulness. I journal. Uh, in my book, I call it playful mindfulness, which is a way to have fun and not to get bored. But I found if I could look at everything as creative opportunity, I would stay focused. And if I stay focused, I'm channeling anything that's either negative or a distraction into reminding me of what I need to be focused on to get done. Like I say, there's creativity, which is the ideas, and then there's productivity, which is getting stuff done so that I can have more time to do the things that I want. So all of this, all this goes around to, I was able to teach other people this who weren't ADHD. Because to some degree, a lot of it could be environment or other issues, sometimes health, struggle with the same things. Just like uh, if, they, if we had a shared experience, then I could give them a word or maybe they would ask me for a word. Uh, like, um, like even just today, uh, I, I work with a contractor where we don't get paid when our agency decides to take a week-long vacation. So I call that, we don't have a vacation, we have a what the hey vacation. We have a what the hey vacation. I mean, what the hell? Or, or somebody was describing to me and asking for a word just today on, what do you call it when, you know, you haven't eaten a piece of food for so long, you forgot how good it is and you eat again? I said, yeah, that's called a fugasm. And I just came up with those. And now already, uh, that's a word that they say they're going to use and share with other people and tell me they've had a laugh over it. And that's where I realized, okay, this isn't just for me. This isn't even just for people who like to come up with words or say, hey, I wish I had a word for that. This is for people that are trying to make better connections, two types of connections, internal connections, the types we just talked about here, focus, executive function, working memory, um, those types of things, how you manage your emotions too. Uh, the other type of connections, external, the social, by social, making a human bond, exchanging information, however the information can come sometimes. And in this case, my information comes through words. So that's how I found by talking with a bunch of other people, who, by the way, were the inspiration for a lot of these words here to say, okay, this is not just a hobby. This is a real opportunity that word creations can actually be fun connections. Well, I think you've, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, um, you've really pointed out something that's a really powerful mechanism known as anchoring, which is where you really tie uh, one idea to another, or you tie something to a word, or you tie it to an event. The idea is you anchor an idea to something else. And I think that you've used that really, really effectively. And I think to the point of those who struggle with, or in some cases benefit from ADHD, um, you know, that's a really, really helpful mechanism to be able to keep yourself uh, focused and to give yourself something to come back to to keep yourself on point. Um, I talk with a lot of people about ADHD just in general because you know, uh, in many in my circles, I'm often the poster boy for it, um, and I'm I'm sure you have a similar sort of thing. Um, but I, I, you know, I'll talk sometimes with parents, and they'll say like, I think my child has ADHD, and they they seem to have like um, almost like a little bit of sadness in their voice about it, right, and. The way I look at it, and, and you kind of alluded to this, you talked about, you know, whether you think it's a superpower or a weakness. I know you spoke with Peter Shankman at one point about it, and he's, you know, all in on the ADHD as a superpower. You know, I, I am kind of in 
that camp, but I also believe kind of where you say where it's a little bit of both, right? Like it can be a superpower times, but it can be a weakness. And I think your analogy was really, really good that, you know, you find a super suit, but it does amazing things, but you forget the direction that keeps smashing into things. You know, the other side, and this is the thing I try to remind parents when, you know, especially if they're not particularly, uh, you know, ADHD themselves, if, if they have no real experience with it, I try to remind them that the other side of the deficit disorder is that hyper focus. And I, I, I assume you probably have the same thing, but I know for me, when I get into a task, like I can sit at my desk for 10 to 15 hours. If I'm not interrupted, if my focus is not broken, if I can get that ball rolling, it will roll all the way down the hill and become the largest snowball possible. I will, I will crush 20,000 words of writing at a time. I will, you know, uh, re, you know, edit 17 podcasts. Like I, I can do all of the things at once. And that's been for me, one of the ways that I've had to learn to hack this, this way that I operate is that I have to learn how to get that focus going. I think that's one of the, you know, kind of, and this is where I wanted to circle back to on this. So we, we started out talking a little bit about communication and the challenges of ADHD. When we met, one of the first things that struck me about you was that you're very much a facilitator and um, you're the type that gets shit done, basically, right? Like, so you're a person who's familiar with the technology, you pick things up, you learn how to do it, you get it done. But at the same time, you do struggle with that um, shiny object syndrome, the keeping yourself on task. So there's this sort of intersection that happens for those of us who have ADHD. I'm curious how it's played out for you. We talked a little bit about how it works for you with communication and how some of these words have helped you to stay focused, stay on task. How are you able to, or what are some of the steps you've taken in your, in your life to be able to mitigate that, you know, squirrel, the, 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 the thing where you just get distracted by things and stay on task and be able to have a successful career as you've had doing the, the variety of different things you've done, both being able to get it done, but also being able to learn how to do those things so that you can do it. Yeah. Um, good question. So one thing that I, that I try to do is look for, like you said, the positives and let's just use the example of hyper-focus. One thing is I can say that it can both be a superpower or a stupid power. Like superpower when you need to work on this for the next eight hours, a stupid power when you got to be doing other stuff in those eight hours too. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's, that's why sometimes I think we place too much emphasis on the things that we think are make us, uh, I wouldn't say the word better, but I think it's easy for some people to get involved thinking because I have, I've been diagnosed with this, that all I need to do is tell myself, Oh, I am like a, I got these superpowers. And of course, sometimes as a, as a former Marvel comics buff, when I hear that word, I sometimes get, oh yeah, right. Because I'm thinking, okay, you can't do laser beams. You can't jump over tall buildings in a single bound kind of thing. And I've heard that word across, across the area. Sometimes when people want to call people superheroes, when all they're doing is I'm just doing my freaking job already. And, or people who, and I'll say this, the HD community, it's like, because you're just supposed to do things that normal people do. That's not a superpower. That's just you being expected to be part of the community. It's like there's a time to blend in and there's a time to stand out. But it, and push back on you on that real quick. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so the company that I just recently started is called the Superhero Institute. And mm -hmm. the, the superhuman framework, the, the five-part 
um, framework that I think is, is really the key to unlocking your potential is five different pieces. It's learning, thinking, communicating, leading, and realizing. So if you can master those five different things, you're capable of just about anything because you're able to learn it. You're able to think and understand how it fits, communicate it to others, lead others to do it, and then actually implement it to make it happen, right? So that's how, and those are all very basic things, right? Like, yeah, to be a leader uh, is a very difficult thing. There's a lot of complexity to doing it effectively, but ultimately, if that's your job, that's your job, right? The way I would look at it, and I I think the way that I kind of come at the whole superpower conversation, especially as it relates to ADHD, um, you know what, let me take it out of the ADHD for a second. I'll give you a different example. I'm an entrepreneur. I, and and that is both my greatest superpower and it is my greatest weakness. I, I I envy the fact that there are people that can go to a job and that they can exist there. They can deal with the office politics. They can have someone tell them no and not throw an absolute temper tantrum. At the same time, I know that it's a superpower for me to be able to deal with the pressures of being an entrepreneur, to be able to self-motivate, to be able to handle all of the different tasks and skills that I need to know to be able to run my business. So when I, when I talk about ADHD or when I think others talk about ADHD, the way that I hear it and the way that I intend to say it when I, I'm talking about it is that it's something that gives you, that, that is something that you do better than most. And it doesn't mean that you're able to leap tall buildings or have super strength, although some people may, but it's just something that you have a natural ability for. And when you lean into it, it can give you, um, it can give you an advantage over other people in that particular thing. Now, like superheroes, you're a Marvel, uh, if you're into the, the comic books at all and everything, you realize that every single superhero and every single superpower comes with its own drawback to it, right? So there's the other side of it. So ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to when we talk about superpowers and, and you know, if you're talking about ADHD and you're looking at the, the upsides and downsides to it, you know, I, I think your point was is really well taken. I hadn't thought about that, but th- there is a downside to the hyper-focus. I've only ever really talked about it as being an upside. Because Yeah, of- and, and, and one thing that's also good to mention is th- this is where the choice of words comes in because there's superhuman, and that will be X-Men. That will be Avengers. And then there's superpowers. And this is why I'm careful about saying the word superpower. Everything you described, is a great characteristic. It's a great, I can even say power. And, and, and sometimes people use the word superpower in the context of something you excel at that seems to come effortlessly. At least it appears that way. Yeah. And that's been used. The other side is there are so many groups, not just ADHD groups, that use this word that becomes filler flapper because it describes things that sometimes could just seem like, well, I do that. And it's not that distinctive as, I mean, even though our journey to doing that feels amazing for us. Just like my grandtasms, that that is my my gift that I had to work at a long time. I don't think I'd call it a superpower unless these words could somehow give people, you know, blind people, make them able to see kind of thing. But this is all in a way kind of splitting hairs. But the reason why doing this book made me a lot more careful about the words, including words in the ADHD lexicon, because it sometimes turns off people who aren't that way of now two camps, those who is the woe is me, woe is me, to the I'm a superhero kind of thing. And I kind of find the way to make connections isn't with these words that sound so self-aggrandizing because it does turn off some people. I know that's hard because that's not how it's intended. Uh, I, I find that 
if there could be other words like master tasking is a word that I like to use as a way of being able to accomplish some things that, that seem effortlessly. That tends to get me a better reaction than uh, just like on the opposite side would be messy tasking, which is what ADHD people do when they want to call, say, multitasking or multi-crashing, which is something I used to do, which is physically bump into something because I'd be on a digital device. So I could say, hey, I, I am on all these devices. My ADHD, I can have multiple tabs open. Well, I've screwed up doing that too. Sometimes you can. And that's what I did in social media. So it's, it's really a matter of kind of checking yourself, but also having someone else, which is a whole part that we even talked about, the accountability partner, because there's how we perceive ourselves in the world and our performance. And then there's somebody else who can call us on our BS sometimes. Sometimes that's a significant other. Sometimes it's a coworker who you really, really trust. But that's kind of why certain words I find can become filler flabber, not by the basis of that they're not meant to uplift us, but how they can be perceived by other people who take that in a whole different connotation. Like, hey, I remember to flush the toilet today. I'm super powered kind of thing. I I know it's an exaggeration, but it happens sometimes. I think that's fair. But at the same time, I think we can look at it as, you know, we can celebrate others for something that they do well, maybe just a little bit better than other people and look at it as their superpower. Because so I I worked for this uh, company um, called Gap International. It's a a management consulting firm, uh, similar methodology to uh, the landmark uh, companies that are um, derivative of... um, think EHT or one of those things. Anyway, it, it's a, a, uh, a consulting firm that deals in, in breakthrough methodology, the idea that like your thinking gives you your action, give you your results. One of the things that they use the word uh, very liberally, not liberally, but they, they use it generously is the word genius, like discovering your genius, finding your genius, finding the things that, you know, you do extraordinarily well. And I think that's, that's something where And especially when you're dealing with a loaded term, right? Like ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, right? So it's almost to me, I think, bringing in the concept of uh, it being your superpowers or looking at the the bright side of it. um, I, I think that's empowering to somebody who may have seen as like, I'm, there's something wrong with me, especially when, as you mentioned, like school for me was a similar thing. I was a class clown. I could not pay attention if the class did not suit my interests. And I still, to this day, I double down on all my strengths and I don't really give a crap about anything else that I'm not particularly good at, right? So that's the method that I take with it. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I, I feel like there's, there's nothing really wrong with, with using the superhero and talking about people's gifts. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but just uh, I, I think it's fine for us to celebrate uh, what's right about us versus what's wrong with us. And, you know, on the ADHD side of things, especially when I'm talking with parents about it, I like to try and highlight, you know, why it is a superpower at times. Yeah. And, and, and we both have the same goal, which is to put this in a positive mindset, which is exactly why I did this book, because I look at it as how to flip frustrations into creations, word creations. And that, that makes you feel empowered. And, and if someone in the company who gets you says, that's my superpower, that's great. Because you're, they're not thinking of you and you're not thinking of yourself as I can do all these things and I should be in an Avengers movie kind of thing, uh, which itself is, is, is fantasy fiction. I guess what, what I'm going for is to have positivity without always trying for hyperbole. And by that mean that you can say things that make you special, gifted, desirable, 
but also sometimes in a way where you can even wield just a little bit of self-deprecation. Like I'll, I'll use one word. I, I have one chapter that's kind of relevant to the HD called Super Socialize Me, Grantasms for Gurks. And, and a Gurk is a name I came up with, a person who identifies as a geek, nerd, a dork who is striving to be a remarkable social citizen. I mean, I define a, uh, those things as this. Uh, a geek is your passion. A nerd is your expertise. A dork is yourself. In other words, you being you. And it all came down to where you can take this creativity and get over your awkwardness by being, learning to be mindful of social context. So if I would use the word Gurk, and I actually use this word at a Chicago Mensa event in 2014, people who were ADHD, aut aut mild autism, Asperger's, they used it because they had these issues too. They could be wildly intelligent, but the social skills are really poor. And one person told me that if he could use that word to communicate how he described himself, I look back at that and say that could be a charismatic way of making an impression with somebody that could have the same effect as convincing yourself that you have a superpower. Where it's the, really the same thing. All this is, it's just the choice of words and how we communicate those words to people who may not get it. Like I'll give one good example is I, I don't do name tags. I do face tags, which is a name tag where I draw a cartoon face of myself. That is one of my gifts. I'm a cartoonist. And anytime I'm at a, a, a meetup or a party, I always try to find the mark and I always try to draw a cartoon of myself. In the book, it shows all the face tags I've done. And people remember me that way in a really positive way. And that's where I could mention this thing as, hey, I'm the social wordsmith. That's, that's my, if you want to call it, the, the superhero name in a way. And, and like I said, it's okay to call yourself these words in the company that gets you. The issue is being mindful that people aren't going to always see these words the same way that you do because so much of the words we use today we're all, we're all supposed to be speaking English, but we're not really speaking the same language sometimes. Like, so like again, when I went back to it, somebody says perfect or awesome, your eye will be jaded. Someone else isn't thinking of those things too. So that was my point of the book is if you can come up with something new, something that is creative, and by creative, I mean novel, newness, but also valuable, it's beneficial to you and others, then you are building a connection where you both are speaking the same language. You both get each other you're in a better mood, they're in a better mood, and you feel more comfortable with, with um, having conversations. What I like about what you're talking about here also alludes to something that's, that kind of comes out of this. I, I want to ask you a question before I, I point it out. Do you happen to remember what color my sneakers were when we did our interview? No. And if I guessed, I would probably guess wrong. I would say red wrong? Nope. They're red. I wear bright red sneakers. Well then. So when I, and when I do my name tags, I usually put, um, not just my name, but I'll also put, uh, at Jay Gibbard, my Twitter, uh, name that I remember actually. Yeah. So you're memorable. Yeah. So I, I, that's the point I want to touch on is that, you know, when you're talking about these invented words, one of the things that I think that you create that connection, what that connection is, is you're creating a moment of memorability and, People, there are people that know me by my bright red sneakers. There are people that know me because I put hashtags and Twitter handles on my hello name tags. There are people that know me because I'm the energetic guy. Then there's a whole handful of people that met me and then connected with me on LinkedIn and know me as the world's most handsome social media and content marketing strategist. So I'm always looking for those moments to try and create memorability. And I think what you've done here is in addition to anchoring and, and creating that opportunity to anchor to a particular idea for yourself internally, you're also creating it for people externally that when you say one of those words it becomes memorable, um, 
you give them an opportunity to remember you by that particular thing. And because it's unique and it's different, it will stand out. It's not like remembering the word like, I don't know, like boat. Like everybody knows that word, but when you have a, a different word, a unique way of describing something, like I think Gurk is a really good one. That was the one out of all the words you've said so far that I think has resonated with me the most because for a long time, I was ashamed of all of the things that made me geeky the way I am and the things that I nerded out about and the fact that I was just dorky about make, you know, doing voices and drawing my own cartoons and whatever. So I, I like that that empowers you to kind of own those three aspects of your personality but it's a different thing that you can now remember. It's a new word added to it. And you go, where did you remember that from? Where'd you get that from? And it points back to you. So I think memorability as a factor here is, is one of the things that really should come out of this for people as they're listening is that the book, whether you use any of the grandasms in the book or not, the idea of finding ways to make yourself more memorable when you connect with people gives you the opportunity for that connection and to be remembered. Right. And, and I do talk about how to be remarkable, which is part of memorability in a good way, which the next part, the social part is, boy, this all brings back to being share worthy, where you feel comfortable enough and confident enough to share that memorability. And, and what we're talking about is to bring up a memory. We're talking about, and, and that comes down to use the word anchor. I've used the word prompt. Some people might say the word trigger. And I did this book of all the words that really appealed to me, hence why I call them grandasms, but also because I that I found a lot of these words were what enough people would find something and saying, that's me. That is so me in there. I mean, I, I had probably like about 20 reviewers and I said, just, just pick the ones that resonate with you. And I said, now tell me a little story about it. Too. And because it was important that they told me a little story about how it related to them. Like there's one other word in the same chapter by Gert called a solid dude. And that's someone who appears as a calm and collected individual because they're comfortable with being by themselves in solitude, not loneliness, but to be able to take a break and they feel comfortable with not having to be around a crowd. And that was based on one of my business coaches, Brian Kramer, who does uh, Human to Human. Oh. And he wrote an article. Yeah, fantastic guy. Him and Courtney Kramer are really helpful with me with also doing this book. He's actually one of the, one of the blurbs in my book too, because it, it was the value system in there. So it's not, I want to make sure this didn't read like a boring dictionary. And the way, what makes this distinctive is these are all my little personal stories. They're like micro stories or snack size. Some are a little longer, but the whole goal is to encourage people on how to tell their own stories. And there's a whole section in the book of here's my, here's my secret sauce, so to speak, not so secret, because my bigger goal is one part is you just want to have fun and fun is how we learn. The next part is you've you now we've had a lot of fun. Now here's how you could do this in a way that is fun by yourself with other people. I mean, I, I look at this as being, it can be very good in marketing and the external side when you want to come up with, with the words to tell a story, but the other side is internally, maybe people who maybe there's a new manager and they're, they're not really getting across to, um, to now that people they have to manage. They never worked on those social skills. This is a really good team building exercise. It's really good for workshops. I, I've already seen how it can be done in a game format. Uh, you could say, make up a word for this scenario or situation, and you already win because you've now improved your creativity. And you now you've had a conversation with someone, which is how we remember things. It's, it's the social aspect. It's not just, I just did this creative, creative thing. I shared it with somebody. And now I've built a bond. And so that external bond has created that internal bond. And I even talked with a neuroscientist at um, NC State who explained this to me and how it, it triggers different parts of the brain working together. Now, I didn't include all that 
research in here. I want this to be more of a fun book, but there is some real science to how word creations create fun connections because when we're, when we're playing, when we have playful mindfulness, we are now able to focus and, and it helps remove the anxiety we might otherwise feel. I smell a board game coming on this. <laughs> When's the Kickstarter? <laughs> I, would, I have thought of a board game. I've thought of a calendar, shirts with the best grandtasms, even a way where people could pick their grandtasm and have that already on the shirt. A board game with like Cards Against Humanity meets OkCupid. Okay yeah. In a way. Yeah, I, right? I could see that really working. Well, I mean, I, I see the, and I'm sure there's a lot of science to back this up as, as you're explaining it. It makes perfect sense that there is, um, you know, the creativity of combining words to make things work together to have a cogent and coherent meaning to it. Um, it makes perfect sense that that would fire up different parts of your brain. So obviously there's a lot of value here with, you know, as we talked about memorability, anchoring, uh, focus, things like that. So this is something that you've developed over time as, uh, to a certain extent, a coping mechanism, but also just something that you found that's super helpful for you in social situations. So I want to turn to talking a little bit about, um, advice for people who either currently are adults that have ADHD and are looking for, um, different things that they might want to start because you found this and it's, you found it very helpful for you, but it came from somewhere. At some point you had a recognition that this was a thing that provided value to you. So for one, you know, thinking about the people who are adults, but secondarily and, and related, anybody who's a parent that's, that's uh, raising a child who has ADHD and may not know what to do, uh, what advice would you give either of those two groups about learning to manage within having an AD, uh, having ADHD to better be able to create focus so you can better learn, uh, have more clarity of thought, be able to communicate more clearly, um, you know, being able to, to get stuff done. What are the Well, first I'd say, get my book, Grandasms, Creative Choice Awards for Cool People. <laughs> now on Amazon in paperback and ebook format. <laughs> Wait, no, okay. But well, I won't, as someone who is a non-parent, but, I, but I've worked with a lot of kids with ADHD, teenagers especially, as well as parents where one parent or sometimes both has it. And when I say on the spectrum, there, there's variances. Sometimes other things come with it. Sometimes it could also come with a bit of, of depression too. And, and it's like these things, like I mentioned in the book, I dealt with a huge physical element that was life-threatening, sleep apnea, which is funny because I used to be a, a pretty good cross-country and track runner. But over time, I developed a health situation where I had so much flesh in my throat, sounds disgusting, but I was just building flesh in my throat that I was choking on my own flesh and I would basically uh, not be able to breathe, which mean a lack of oxygen in my brain. So imagine that and dealing with ADHD is just yeah. the worst scenario. And, and I go over that into detail and uh, basically I had life-saving uh, life surgery over that in 2006. So from the talks that I've had, with those as somebody who is not a therapist. I mean, I call myself a not spurt. I'm not an expert, but I can relate to a lot of people and I am different. And as the advertising guru, Sally Hogshead says, different is sometimes better than better. I, when I go to conferences with ADHD therapists and, uh, and clinicians and psychiatrists, I, they miss the human element. They miss the fun element. They miss of how can they get across to people who aren't like them. And they don't have those social skills. So the one thing that I would that I say to ADHD folks is laugh at your failures, laugh at your mistakes. It's so important that you change your attitude. Just like with in one area when I talked about instead of saying necessarily 
attention deficit hyperactive disorder, you could say uh, something like attention. Um, and I remember it was in there. It's like a attention homing or hyperfocused dude or something where you're putting it in a way that is a positive thing and not a negative. Just like you, I can have fun with it. I can call it overthinkitis or brain on bongo drums or uh, just monkey brains. But have, have a laugh over it. Allow yourself to have a laugh over the things you do and make some comedy out of it. I mean, I worked at a, I worked at a stand-up comedy club in Hawaii for a year. I mean, I've done some fun things. I've worked in talk radio while putting myself through college on Hawaii radio station. I've been a cartoonist, been an editorial writer, fun stuff. Didn't always pay the bills, including, including a talk radio DJ in college too. So I've, I've, I've got to be able to do a lot of things. And I was willing to put myself outside my comfort zone. So I would tell ADHD folks is, deal with the thing that makes you uncomfortable, but have support. And then talk about it. Laugh about it. Uh, come up with a fun word for it. Or if you can't, make it a game where someone else comes. This really, really, really does help because that, that is my, my skill set. For parents, I would say is what's the thing that your child, whatever age they're at, really enjoys? And can you turn that into something that makes them not just creative, but productive? And I, and I like to say productivity is doing the things that you need to so you can be the person that you want to. Uh, creativity give, should give you the energy to get things done. Creativity should not be so that I forget the things that I need to get done. And you can trick yourself into turning this into a game. So what I have found from my experiences, talking also with, with therapists and what they like, they like the word part when they're trying to reinforce a behavior and make it a positive behavior. And, and if you can come up with a word for that, like I say, master, master tasking, that, it, that helps. It helps because it, it makes you focus on what you need to do. Or another word I would use is auto magic, what successful people do effortlessly. So it's the easy way to remember what you're trying to aspire to be, or the word you like, a gurk, is I want to be a gurk. Okay, a gurk works on this. This is your gurk homework list kind of thing. I mean, I'm not claiming to have all the answers. I mean, aside from what you and I know, the things that we tell ourselves is eat healthy, uh, is get some good sleep, exercise in the morning, uh, is journal, is meditate. That's, that's hard for younger folks to do too, just like it would have been hard for me. Those things are standards. But I also find there needs to be a creative outlet that encourages the social element in there. I think that's what's missing from a lot of, uh, a lot of experts in the HE industry. So they're not talking about how to channel that creative element. I think this can help with all those other things we already know about for adults and parents, and especially with parents may like teenage kids, is try a word game. Try a word game over these things. Like I'll, I'll give you one fun word that I've used that, that's really, really true. It's a, it's a car jackass. It's where you, you basically this. When you open up a car in a parking lot, sit down in the seat only to realize you just open up someone else's car. Yeah. I did that twice. Uh, I had someone do that to me. You told me he had ADHD. I never met him. Here's another one. This is totally true. Gymnesia. Opening up every unlocked locker in your local fitness center because you forgot which locker you placed your exercise bag in. <laughs> and, and you look like a crazy person doing that. Now, because I could laugh at that, and I took a photo of myself at the time I did that, take a photo of yourself when it happens because you'll, you'll remember the story. I, put, I take that photo, I'll either do a, do a voice note or I'll put it in Evernote and I'll type up when it happened. So I'm, I'm building that anchor, like you said. I'm doing all these things. I'm building my story as it's happening right there around, around this word. That's now my prompt. So what happened from there? Well, I now need to take a photo of my locker because I now trained myself because I could laugh at my mistake. The one thing that I've learned more than 
anything about the whole experience of this book, this is great for us and parents, is we beat ourselves up too much over when we make mistakes. Here's the problem. When you do that, you are now dreading the behavior you want to fix. So what happens? You don't end up dealing with that behavior. It's like, oh, I haven't done my taxes, other stuff. Uh, I didn't do my taxes for six years while having a business. Insane. Uh, dangerously insane. But because even though I was trying to and I couldn't remember, but I was also in a negative space. When you can laugh at your mistakes, when you can put yourself in a positive mood, when you come up with a word for it, this really works in dealing with a behavior you want to fix or improve on. I love it. I love it, man. Well, Grant, you are a freaking inspiration. A man with ADHD writes an entire book uh, that is full of all of your creative little brain droppings. And I think that is uh, admirable. It's amazing. It's really cool. I can't wait to uh, read through the whole thing. Uh, tell people, uh, one, who the book is for specifically, who's going to get the most out of it. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll know exactly where to find it and we'll put it in the show notes. But tell people who it's for and then tell people where they can go to learn more about you, where they can go and be social with you, where they can connect with you, talk with you. And, and learn more about the work that you do? Well, this book, Grant Asm's Creative Twisted Words for Cool People, on, on Amazon right now, in paperback and ebook, is for adults and, and young adults or, or older teenagers who, uh, who, who value creativity and are looking for an innovative way to have better conversations and connections and have fun doing it. Uh, it's not for the type of person who says, that's not a real world word. <laughs> It's for the type of person who's willing to try something different, who's willing to go outside their comfort zone, and who's willing to look at how the words that they're so used to hearing can be interpreted in a totally different way. And that's who, who this is really for. Those people who are probably a little more is those people who are comfortable being on social media, but always realize they could communicate a little better than they probably are doing, who, who is aware of their social awkwardness. I mean, you can be an extrovert. You can be someone who's really talkative. You can be really good on these spaces, but you're always still aware. Did I come across the way I should have? Oh my gosh, did I do this or that? And that's a good thing. This teaches you to laugh at those things because as long as you put yourself out there, it's like being in a relationship that as long as you're willing to be vulnerable, that's how you grow. So it's for those people that if you're willing to be a little vulnerable, then you're going to have a great time. You're going to laugh and learn. So also where you can find me, where I'll, since I'm right now is doing this as a, as a side hustle. The easiest way is email me at info, I-N-F-O, at one twisted squirrel. That's O-N-E, one twisted squirrel.com. That is an actual LLC I got. I'm doing this all above board. It's one thing I learned, even though this is a side business along my full-time job, uh, I'm doing everything by the book. I even got media liability insurance too. So I'm being extra careful. That's, that's my financially minded partner getting me on that path too. So kudos to her. So you can, and, and tell you what, if you, if you listen to this interview is reach out to me and say, you have a favorite word or phrase, twisted word, twisted. I mean like something that's just different about it. That makes you a little quirky or quippy about it. And that you'd like to tell someone, I would love to hear that. I'd love to have permission to share that because this will work. This whole program of trying to do like a, like grammar girl meets Joe Rogan, come up with new interesting words and the stories of other people. Uh, I am now just starting tomorrow of all time, start launching my Instagram channel around one twisted world. It will be the number one underscore twisted underscore scroll. Just do twisted scroll. No one else is doing it. And every day is going to be an Instagram of a word in there, a word you haven't heard before, or at least my interpretation of it. It's going to be a fun cartoon bubble. 
and I'm going to look for other ones out there. And so the goal is to do at least one every single day so that you could have your grandtasm of the day. And for ADHD folks, the grandtasm of the day keeps the ADHD at bay. If you can name it, you can tame it. If you can tame it, you can master it. If you can master it, you can be a super social citizen. That's amazing. Well, Grant, thank you so much for coming on to Shareable and sharing uh, some of your grandtasms and as well as your, uh, your journey with ADHD and how you've managed it and turned it into, I won't say a superpower, but you've been able to, uh, to use it to your advantage. So I really appreciate you setting aside the time for me. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. I think uh, the, the information that you gave people was definitely, it, it had shareability to it, which makes sense because this show was shareable. Wait. Don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy Shareable and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show, Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you can support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing, shareable.fm, where this podcast is hosted. Do you have a podcast or know someone that has a podcast that you think is particularly, I don't know, shareable? Well, send them to shareable.fm to apply to be on the network. Shows that are selected not only get added to the site and in some cases to the Shareable FM radio podcast, but we also bring together the best tips, tricks, and tactics for promoting your show and growing listenership. And for our headliner and feature shows, we provide fully outsourced social advertising support. So leave the uh, promotion to us, okay? So give it a look, and if you want to find some new and interesting shows, or if you just want additional exposure for your own show or know someone who would benefit, please let them know about it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Shareable. I sincerely appreciate it, and this show would mean absolutely nothing without you, the listener. So thank you, and I hope to see you back for the next one. Goodbye for now. <laughs>